Hey everybody, happy Wednesday, happy hump day. I wonder where they got that, happy hump day. I know it's like, okay, my guest is already on. We're gonna bring him on in a moment, but before I do, um, I just want to tell you a little bit about my guest today. He's incredible. Um, he is uh, an author. He's here to tell his story with um, mental health, depression, suicide. He wrote the um, book, Recklessly Alive, and I'm gonna bring him up here in just a moment. And where, let's, where are you? Here we go. All right, I got it right this time. Partially my fault, partially, I think, my guest's fault. But um, there you are. Hey, Hi, Tina. Got it right this time. Yay. Yeah. Seen a lot of people actually that I have not, um, that are joining that I have not seen in a while. Welcome, everybody, and welcome, Sam. I'm so excited for this interview. I got, I got my notes. So um, listen, so I just introduced you before I, I let you on, and you uh, wrote the book, Recklessly Alive. You're here to tell your story. And you know what, this show is all about being transparent so we can help other people. And first of all, I wanna applaud you so much for be willing to share your story because a lot of people are not willing to do that. And you know, that's why I named my podcast Transparent Tina. I am very transparent about my story and things sometimes, you know what, they're hard to share sometimes, they really are because, but you know what, in the end, and as I was making my notes and as I pulled some quotes from your book, it's like, you know what, everybody's got, I, I think most people are gonna relate to what you're about to say. And by coming forward, okay, you allow other people to accept what's going on in their lives, you know? And I think, as you know, for me, for the longest time, I sat in silence and felt shame and everything else because you feel like, you know, especially with, you know, social media now, right? Everybody's posting everything wonderful about their lives. And, you know, we start playing the comparison game and it's like, oh, everybody's doing better than me. That even makes you want to shut down more. Do you agree with me? Absolutely, absolutely. And there's there's nothing more transparent than talking about our mental health. And I got into this work because I'm a teacher. I've been teaching in the public schools for the last 12 years. And in the district where I teach, we lost three students, a teacher and a principal, all in about 18 months who took their own life. And I watched my community have no idea what to do or say, but most importantly, I just knew I had to do something. And I didn't know what that would be, but I was like, I got a story. I can tell a story, I can get on a camera, I can get on a stage, I can get behind a computer screen and I can write the struggles that I've been through. And at the very least, we can get these survivor stories out there so that when people get there, gosh, I pray they never do, but if they do, they can think, gosh, other people have been here, I'm gonna be okay too. Uh, that's, the, that's the thing, it feels so lonely, right? And, I, and in one of your quotes, it talked about that and about isolation. You know, because when we start to feel that way, um, I, I'll get to it. I don't know exactly where it is. But, you know, they, you know, when you feel that shame and stuff, you do want to isolate. You don't want to reach out because you feel like, oh, nobody's going to understand. Or I don't want to drag somebody down, right? Especially if they're going, if everything are going well in their lives. Because a lot of people, you know, they, a lot of people, your friends, um, hopefully will understand, your true friends that know you inside and out for many, many years. But it's still very painful because you don't want to be like, here I go again. Now it's not, you know, it's like, you know, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you, Sam? What's wrong with you, Tina? I mean, just get over it, right? Absolutely. And I, you know, especially in those dark seasons, I'd feel like I'd get invited to a party and my options were cancel and bail and look flaky 
or go and not really be present or not feel like myself and people, you know, they're kind of probing, I'll cheer up. And, you know, yeah. for me, it's like everywhere right now is good vibes only. And actually it's one of my personal pet peeves because absolutely we all need to strive and try to be positive, but yeah. also like maybe real vibes only, right? It's like you're, you're allowed to be around people who maybe are struggling or aren't in the best place. We, it's impossible to expect everyone to be happy in the life of the party 365. Well, absolutely. You know, and you know, you, you said something there that that can be a little bit of a trigger, I think, for most people. It's like, just be positive, you know, and it's like, yeah, but everybody would want to be positive. Everybody wants to be happy. Okay, but they don't have the tools. And they feel like the odd man out. And you know what, I, I think most people probably have felt this way, one way or another, but they don't feel like that's normal. They feel like you know, there's that's where the shame is, right? Absolutely. And that's where I love the work that you've done around mindset and just talking about the brain, how the brain works and how that, all of that is changeable, right? Anybody watching this who feels like their self-talk or just their outlook on life isn't great or it just is a struggle, all of that is changeable. We all have the power to work on that. It might not be perfect today, but our brain is very moldable. It's very spongeable and we can change the way we talk to ourselves over time. And I'm, I'm proof of that. Absolutely. You know, and you know, it can come up like that because I had that kind of morning this morning. I actually had, you know, I had, a, I had a, an argument with my son last night and it made me feel like a bad mom. I felt like I'm, you know, I'm lacking, you know, what am I doing wrong? And I really, I woke up in not a good space. I, I'm going to be really transparent. Mm -hmm. I was this close to calling off the whole day, just calling off all my clients rescheduling with you. And then I thought, you know what, this is what this whole thing is about. Okay. What I, when I get in those moods, when I go with, with that was my initial reaction was to call off the whole day. Mm -hmm. That's not going to help anything. It's actually going to make things worse. I mean, there's a saying, you know, you don't have to feel like getting an action, but if you, to, to feel better, you have to get an action because once I started doing it, I tackled it, you know, after I got done with my calls and I, now I got Sam, I was like ready to go. Had I not done that, I just would have isolated. It could have, it would compound the problem. And that's, that's my advice that I give to everybody. Every, do one thing every single day that makes your life better or makes the world a better place. One thing, it might be a workout, it might be a phone call, whatever. Most of the time you're gonna feel like keeping going, but yes. it's getting that momentum in your life, especially when you're depressed, especially when you're down in the dumps you don't feel like doing anything. You, you gotta, you gotta change. You gotta change your scenery. You gotta change what you're doing. And like you just said, you gotta take a little action. It's tough love. It's tough yeah. love. It, it's yeah. It's it, it it it's it's the first step. You're absolutely right. I've said this before. Like if I don't feel like going to the gym, I'll go. Okay, I'll negotiate with myself. Okay, you can just go. Just go for ten minutes. But once I'm there, I'm not gonna go for ten minutes. Like today, I'm like, okay, just take the first call. And before you know it, I'm done. And I've, it's turned everything around. I mean, so I think right there, there's one tool that we just uncovered, correct? Absolutely. The, the t official term is opposite to emotion. Do one thing you, you're emo you don't want to do. You don't feel like doing practice yes. every single day. And either whether you battle depression or mental health or not, right? We all, we, nobody wants to take out the garbage. <laughs> nobody. No, no. <laughs> You know, I wrote about that in my first book, Sam. It's called Practicing Opposites. It's like if you're feeling depressed, the, the thing you don't want to do the most is what you probably need to do the most. When I, the, the days I don't feel like journaling, mm -hmm. that's the day I need it the most. And once I do, I, I, I get the most profound effects, right? Percent. 100%. Okay. 
So, so tell us about your story. Start, start from, because, you know, they haven't read the book. I have. I know your whole story. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they're going to read the book. They're going to read the book. They're no. going to read the book. No. And I'm telling you, I, I, you know, I, I just got back from the East Coast, and I read two books, one there and one back. And not all books flow as fast as yours. Yours was such an easy read. I, I got through it, I think, in a day and a half. And, and that wasn't sitting there reading the whole time. I mean, but it just flew. The pages, you're a, an amazing writer. I love the way that you describe things. And that's why everything, all my notes are quotes from your book that I underlined and made sure that I'm going to bring it up today. So go ahead. You're Start off. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, my story isn't that uncommon, right? It's not that different from so many other people. I had a pretty tough childhood growing up. My dad was an alcoholic and as a part of that disease just caused a lot of pain in my life and in the life of my family. My house is a pretty tumultuous place. Um, you never really knew if it was gonna be like a happy jokey drunk day or like a chair throwing day. Um, but truthfully on the outside, like I kept it all together. Like I was kind of the peacekeeper. I've always kind of worn that mask of like, okay, just keep everybody happy. And if I just do enough, then there won't be an explosion. People pleasing. Absolutely, which I still have to fight. <laughs> Even at 33, I'm still fighting those, those tendencies. Um, my dad actually left when I was 12. I haven't really seen him since or had a relationship with him. But even at that point, I was starting on the basketball team. I had straight A's. None of my teachers really knew what was going on behind the scenes. I was just Mr. Mr. Look, I got it together. And then when I hit high school, things really fell apart completely. My grades tanked. I quit all the sports I'd been involved in. I hid in video games. I didn't, I didn't exercise. Um, I started isolating myself quite a bit. And what I didn't know is that what I was facing like has a name. It's called depression, right? It's like nobody just stood up in front of me and said, here's what depression is. Here's what causes it, we think. And here's how you get help. And actually, the average onset from symptoms for mental health to treatment is 10 years, which actually mirrors my story almost perfectly. And part of that is when we talk about mental health, a lot of the warning signs of depression match teenage behavior, right? It's like sleep, not sleeping enough, sleeping too much, not eating enough, eating too much. Too much. What teenager doesn't stay up late and then eat a pizza? And, you know, there's these teenage years are kind of crazy. And so we just, we miss, we miss a lot of the warning signs about, about what was happening. And, for me, I had a lot of passive suicidal thoughts in those years. Passive meaning, I don't want to be alive. I would write on my papers over and over again, I hate my life. I didn't want to exist. I thought I was an accident and really, really believed. If, if given the choice at any point during those years to press a button and not have existed, I would have taken it basically every single day. Yeah. <laughs> and, but never... Can I ask you something? Did, any, did you share with anybody um, at this time? No. Because I'm going to share something I've never shared before. I, I don't think I've shared this before. But I was in high school, a junior year, um, a junior or senior. And I kept a diary because, you know, I kept everything. I, I, I didn't even share with my, my friends. And I was writing about, you know, I, I wasn't planning a suicide, but it was the same thing. I just didn't want to be there. My dad found my diary mm -hmm. and Xeroxed it. Like Xeroxed my diary. And it's like, talk about an invasion of privacy. I mean, that even made me go more within. Didn't sit down with me and say, what's this all about? I was writing a lot of the reason was because of my stepmother. And all he said was, if she would have ever found this, you know, that would have... What about 
what I, you know, it's all about if she would have found it, what would she have thought? Instead of thinking that I'm having these kinds of thoughts. And I don't know about you, but I mean, you know, until you were diagnosed, um, for, for me, I always thought that this was kind of normal because you don't have anything to compare it to, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. My self-esteem was like such in the toilet. Like I just, I truly believe there was something wrong with me and that, that I, I was never going to have a happier life. But that's also like part of it too, is right. Our brain can lie to us. We don't have to believe everything that we think. And, you know, I go all over the country doing suicide prevention events, speaking and over and over and over again, I would say most people will tell you at some point in their life, they've had some passive suicidal thoughts. They haven't thought had met a plan or anything like that. Right. But at some point, someone has, they, most people will say they've gotten to a point where they've at least said something like, okay, take me home, Jesus, or however you want to yeah. say. Right? This like, is too difficult. I can't deal with this anymore. Right. And, and, and it's a real feeling, you know, it's a real feeling. And, um, okay. So go ahead. So, Absolutely. so you started feeling that and then you started isolating and not, and, and not exercising. First of all, you know, that even impacts it more because it affects your brain chemistry because you're not getting the oxygen and maybe not eating right too. That affects your brain chemistry, which a lot of people don't understand that. What you are putting in your body or not putting in your body affects your brain chemistry. It's going to make you more depressed. Absolutely. There's a great book, um, Your Brain on Nutrition, a really great book, but it goes over a lot of those basics of that sort of thing. But yeah, there is a huge physical side to this. How you treat your body, how you sleep, how you eat, all of that is really a big Sleepy. part of it. Yes. Um, and it's really, that's been some of the biggest changes for me. Also, there's a mental part, of course, how you talk to yourself. We've talked about before, self-talk therapy really helps with like trauma, processing that sort of thing also affects that. I also think there's a spiritual element to depression and whether that's religion or not for anybody, but just what is your purpose? Why are you here? Why do you wake up in the morning? And depression, you're kind of fighting all three of those at once, um, as I was. And so through that time, even as I got into college, it was really up and down. Like it was never just like, I never, I had low moments, but I had high moments too. Um, it, but slowly over time into my early twenties, it went from what, if, what if, what if I did something like that to how would I do something like that to when, when am I going to do something like that? And following college, I was 23 and my life completely bottomed out. Um, we put such pressure on our, our people in our twenties, especially mm -hmm. post call. You're supposed to at 17 pick a career and then immediately. It was, it's a lot of pressure. Find your soulmate and then pump out a bunch of babies, but also have enough money, but then also have a perfect group of friends that you can post photos about, but also just love your life at all times. Like I, there was so much pressure and I was, I was miserable. I hit my college relationship had ended. It was really important to me. I kind of had thought we would get married. I was teaching. It was my first year teaching elementary school. I hated my job. I had a ton of student loan debt to be a teacher that I, I hated. I was back living at home where all this trauma had happened. So all of that is coming back up that I never processed or never worked through. I was binge drinking because in your 20s, if you want to have friends, that's what you had to do. That's what everybody did. They just drank all the time, which of course made the, the lows even worse. And uh, you, you had mentioned that in your book too. I didn't write it down, but you said, you know, but it also, you know, was not only social, social, but it, it, it alleviated the depression and everything. It puts it, it, it takes the edge off. I mean, it, it numbs you out. So you at least don't have to feel for the moment. Absolutely. I was yeah. drinking to forget who I was. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Most Friday and Saturday nights, I was 
doing my best to forget what my day-to-day life was. And then of course, the hangover and everything else was a thousand times worse. And then I had no motivation to make the changes I wanted to make. Um, And I I never needed treatment. You know, I was never to the point where I needed to go to rehab or anything like that. It's a social thing that is just widely accepted in our Mm -hmm. culture. Um, But especially if you battle some mental health stuff, it can be, it was was really damaging to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Had you not figured this out, you might have needed rehab. I mean, long enough, you, you, you would have ended up there, you know? And yeah, so um, talk about when you started planning. Yeah, so November, yeah, November of that year, I finally just gave myself a dangerous ultimatum. I said, either Christmas Day, I'm going to take my own life or I'm never gonna think about this again. At that point, I'd had these thoughts for almost a decade and I truly, I truly could not imagine 50 more years of that pain. That, that was the, the, ultimate, the ultimate price. And most people, most suicidal people will share that they don't want to die. They just, they're trying to end the pain. They want to yes. pain. And yes. that's where I was. And suicide at its most basic level is just when your pain is higher than your ability to cope. And I didn't have any of the tools to cope or to fight through any of that. No one was open and talked about it. No one had ever shared that they'd been there and been through it. So I, I truly believe this was my only option. And, and probably the m- biggest misconception that I try to fight about is, is this idea that suicide is the most selfish act you can ever commit. And I, I, don't I, believe that. I, don't I understand believe why that. people say that. I don't understand that either. I mean, you know, you're, you know, the people that are left behind, I understand that. But, you know, uh, yeah, it takes a lot of courage, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm not encouraging anybody to do it, but I, I, I've been there not only that time, but when I had lost everything, I've shared that on, on you know, four years ago. I felt like that. Um, and really, what's, what, there was two things that, that stopped me was my son, honestly, and uh, God. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And I, similarly... Um, but I actually, my brain was fully convinced that I was such a burden to the people around me that they would be better off without me. That like I could see the effect that my mental illness was having on my family. I wasn't fun to be around. I was irritable. I was not helping out. Um, I was kind of a jerk in that season of my life. Um, and I didn't want to be that for them anymore. And, and truthfully, that's why I picked Christmas Day. Like honestly, even in the planning, if they were truly selfish, I was trying to be the most self, I thought I was being selfless, to be honest. I thought, gosh, yep, it'll be hard for them initially, but their life is going to be easier and happier without me around. And that comes back to your brain, your brain just lying to you. And so I wrestled with it for that full month. It wasn't like an immediate every day that I was going to do this, but I wrote letters. I got, I boxed yeah. up things. I got rid of things. Um, I, I was fully, I was going to do this or be done with it. So when I woke up on Christmas day, I, got out of all the Christmas stuff. Everybody left. I was at home alone. And truthfully, it's like the closest thing I can think of to what hell must be like, um, what I experienced that day. Like every, for basically 10 hours, I would walk to the bathroom, think about it, walk back. I would pass out on the tile floor, shivering, and then wake up. I would sob some more, truly just in the, in the grips of hell, trying to, to decide, was I going to do this or not? Finally, like late in the afternoon, I just like looked in the mirror and started counting backwards from 10. Uh, and remember 10, nine, I saw first like really happy images. I saw images of my family and my friends, things that I would miss. And then 
seven and six, five, I saw all these really, really horrible things that happened to me, the abuse, uh, the bullying, uh, and four, and somewhere around three, this question broke through. It is a feeling. It wasn't an audible voice, but the question was, have you really given life everything you've got? Because if you have, it's okay. You can give up. This can be the end, but I'm not sure that you have. I'm not sure that you've tried every avenue to heal. I'm not sure you've tried everything you could think of to pay off these student loans, to get the life and the job that you want to live. I'm not sure you've given it everything. In fact, I think you've kind of sat around and felt sorry for yourself for a long time. That, that was the feeling. So in that moment, I grabbed the stuff that I had with me. I jumped in the car and I just started driving. And that's what I've always done when I'm struggling. I just drive. And finally, I sat in a abandoned parking lot in downtown Minneapolis, and I watched the minutes tick by 11.58, 11.59, midnight. I had made it, um, decided to stay. Decided to stay. I'm so glad you did. I'm so glad you did. And I think the, the pivot point was, have you given it everything? And I know for me, when I feel like giving up, that that's it too. There's... You know, you can, uh, and, and, and one thing I will say, what I did this morning when I felt that, I wasn't thinking about suicide this morning, but I was pretty low, I called one of my best friends. And once I got off the phone, I was fine. So again, you need to practice opposites. I, that's the last thing I wanted to do was call, and, and this person's struggling themselves, okay? But, and it wasn't, wasn't so much what he said, it was, more about just feeling connected, right? I mean, you just feel so disconnected when you feel depressed. Absolutely, and you gotta do something to shake, shake your brain as like- Yes, yes. Like, you gotta, whether that's just, yeah, talking to a friend, if anyone watching this is feeling suicidal, there's in the US, there's always a suicide prevention line. You can Google it and call it anytime. They'll talk to you as long as you want. If you have a friend who feels suicidal, like what you just said, the best gift you can give me when I'm struggling is to just listen. Just you listen. Yeah. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to have the answers. Dude, just sit with me in a cup of coffee and just, wow, that's really tough. Yeah, I'm so sorry you're going through that. Yeah. Wow, yeah, I am here for you, man. Right, exactly. Um, I'm going to go through some of these quotes because I think they're really powerful, okay? So one of the things you said is if we're not careful, a series of bad events or wrong turns can latch onto our identities like an undetected parasite eating away at the full life we were created to experience. So powerful because in this quote, it reminds you that we all have a purpose. We all have a purpose. But when you're feeling that way, you feel lost in the mix. You feel like you don't count and you know, you're almost underground. But if you remember, that we're all here to um, fulfill our purpose. And only you can fulfill your purpose, right? There's, out of all, all the billions of people in the world, there's only one Sam Eaton, there's only one Tina Marks, you know? And you, you, we sit there with the comparison game and say, you know, like I remember when I wrote my first book, I, it took me eight years to write because I kept thinking, well, who am I to write a book? I didn't graduate college. I don't have a degree or anything else. This whisper kept coming back yeah, but you have something to say. And then it'd be like the same thing. That, so it'd be on, off, on, off, on, off. And what I finally realized was that, you know, nobody's reinventing the wheel here, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm going to just say it in a different way that's going to be relatable to somebody else that somebody else's book didn't. So, you know, you really have to, you know, dig down and say, where's my purpose? What am I here to do? And, you know, 
and also to turn off that chatter in your mind. You know, I don't know if you practice meditation, Sam, um, to really kind of connect to, because that that's number one in my life now is God. Absolutely number one. I always used to think it was, but my relationship now is just amazing, you know, and that has saved my life. Um, some of your feelings, never trust, never be real, never allow anyone in so you won't self-destruct when they abandon you. Wow. You know, and, and that goes along with your, why you left the love of your life at that time was because you felt, what did it say? That you felt that if she uh, found out who you really were, she was going to leave you anyway. I was the same way. Always had my running shoes by my bed. Leave first. Right? Absolutely. My, my mom is a fighter and a warrior and she survived a lot of things, but she repeatedly would say, your dad ruined my life. And I had this deep ingrained thing that I was going to ruin somebody else's life. And that was my own thing to work through. That was my own therapy and my own journey that I needed to go, which I didn't even know that was really there. But that, that is what I truly believed, that I was going to ruin somebody else's life. And, and I had some work to do. <laughs> I had yeah. some work to do to realize that like, oh yeah, like we all going to make mistakes but this, to be transparent, that's the only way to truly be loved, right? It's like, until, be vulnerable. Yeah. until you allow people to know your full story, not right away, right? Don't trauma dump on everyone you meet. But until those close people in your life, you allow them to know these stories, these stories that you only tell some people, that's the only way you're ever going to feel truly loved. And that's the only way you're going to allow, you're going to be able to love other people fully is, is, is allowing them to, to know your full story. I agree because you know what, that's the only way I can totally trust somebody. The people that are in my inner circle, which are very few people, they know the, the best side of me, but most importantly, probably is they've known the worst side of me mm -hmm. and they love me despite of it. Mm -hmm. And you know, we all just want to be seen and to be heard. Right. Um, and you say some people have been hurt, spend their whole lives trying to hurt the world back and uh, bury some of the pain deep inside. We sabotage relationships where the other person can leave us. We lose touch with friends because they, we can't tell them that we're barely hanging on. We don't trust God who would give us a story filled with such hurt and despair. Mm -hmm. um, we never chase our wildest dreams because we're always waiting for someone to break down the front door and drag us back into the nightmare. Mm -hmm. um, amazing. This is really, this is a question I want to ask you. So he said, sadly, when you've lived a life littered with trauma, you're always waiting for the, uh, waiting for the other shoe drop is second nature. Let's talk about that for a moment, because that is a pattern that we must interrupt. Absolutely. I, I've been trying to live by the phrase lately, what if everything goes right? What if everything goes right? Right? I love it. Instead of saying, what if? they leave me? What if I don't get the job? What if I can't pay the rent? What if you turn in the opposite, right? What if I, if it does go right, right? It's just as easy to ask the, it's the same question, but with a different perspective. 100%. And I, I still fight this even now, just a few weeks ago, I had a slight disappointment. And I was like, see, this is why you can never just be happy. And I was like, wait, nope, nope, we don't do no, that. No, no, that's my old story. And that channel. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Sam. Let me ask you. So did you, did you get diagnosed with clinical depression? Um, was this related to, do, are you on medication? Uh, yeah, how did you like, 
how did you move forward in your healing? Yeah, let's, let's talk the journey because it's been a journey. It's been a journey. I wish I could say I woke up that next day and it was just like, oh, perfect. And I never struggled again. I, I've never attempted again, but I've been very close and had to go into some treatment a few different times um, to break some of those cycles and some of those patterns. The biggest treatment thing- As in like inpatient treatment? A little bit, yep. A few times, uh, just, yeah, that's where my life has gone. But the other part of that is, is I now have this, right? A suicidal thought is the brain's alarm system. Things aren't right, we need help. That's all it's saying, right? We don't have to- You know what? Absolutely. You know, when, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I tell everybody this. Everybody's like, oh my God, that's the, your death sentence. No, it's your body saying something's out of alignment, Absolutely. right? And that was, that's for me now. Even if I have a passing thought, that's immediately. And for me, it's if the plan starts happening, now I need to, that's my, I have to go tell someone, you're going to somebody's office today and we're going to, we're going to deal with this now. So that's, that's my thing. And that's my, the commitment I've made to myself is once it becomes active, okay, that's it. We're calling, we're going to get help. Um, I have been on some medications. I had a really rough go of medications. I've tried many. I'm not on any right now and I'm doing better, the best of my whole life. Um, medications help a lot of people. A lot of people say you can't take medications, especially if you believe in God, like, oh, God will just heal you. Uh, nope. Use, use the no. science. You have to do what you need to do. Yes. Use the science that we have. Help me, yourself out. Yeah. Talk therapy was a huge part of that. Just processing through that trauma. It wasn't fun. Hated therapy. Wrote a whole chapter about how much I hated therapy. But um, truly yeah. just needed to work through some of those bruises and some of those deep-rooted deep-rooted beliefs that I didn't even really know that I had. Um, exercise truly is my antidepressant. I view that as my prescription every single day, just like you take a pill. I something. I'm walking, I'm going to the gym, I'm swimming, I'm doing something. That's the most important part for me. Being around good people, to be honest, like changing my circle also was really important because I, I finally have a group of people where I don't feel like I have to perform. Yes. And I, be and also toxic people, some people that you don't have to perform, but also, I mean, I had mentioned that I let go of six people during COVID of all, mm -hmm. out of all time, but I just said, you know what, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to move forward if mm -hmm. I, if I still keep surrounding myself with people that are, are always complaining, you know, because you are who you hang around. 100%. Yeah. 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 You're becoming the five people you spend the most time with, whether it's you want so true. to, yeah. whether you want to or not. So Absolutely. Surrounding people. Um, and then honestly, like doing the work that I do on Recklessly Alive, getting to post inspirational messages every day is a huge part of my healing too, because I get, it's, it's, it's everything that I'm reminding myself. Like when I post about self-talk, it's because I'm struggling with self -talk. Exactly. It's exactly. Like, that's one of the reasons which I'm going to ask you that that's what my next question was. That is the reason I became a coach was because I keep myself in, in alignment. I can't tell you to do something or suggest you do something if I'm not doing that myself because then I'm a real fraud, right? <laughs> so, I mean, do you believe that everything happens for a reason? That's, that's a complicated one for me. I, I actually don't. I, I don't believe that everything happens for a reason. I don't believe that the worst things in our life, murder and suicide and genocide, I don't think those things happen for a reason. I, I believe God can use all things for good. And I believe that even my lowest moment of my entire life, almost three seconds away from not wanting to be alive, he'll use that 
for good 100%. And he has tenfold. I mean, I, I woke up the next day and I was like, I want to use this pain to help other people. Okay, that was, that was, that was I was going to rephrase it. Do you, you feel that, that your circumstances and your situation led you to your purpose? Absolutely. 100%. And I, I've all, I, the, I feel most recklessly alive when I'm helping other people, especially people who can never repay me. That's when I feel alive. Like, yeah, I, enough, I thought it would be like, oh, when you make a bunch of money or yep. oh, trips. And I love all of those things. But if I'm honest, the most alive I feel is getting to talk to people about this stuff and getting to see what it feels like to finally not feel alone in something you've struggled with for so long. That that is what it truly means to be alive and to like live out your, your purpose. And, and I'm so lucky that I, I found that, to be honest. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back and change the horrible things that I've been through because I get to use that now to help people every day. So maybe you do believe in everything happens for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> ah, think about that. Ah, it did lead you to this place. Well, you, there, there's a book that um, uh, Buddha and the Badass that I'm reading right now. I mean, I hmm. think and I get a lot of them confused, but um, it, it says that most people find their purpose through their pain. Yeah. So when you, that's why I always say to my clients, to anybody who will listen, lean into your pain because mm -hmm. you're somewhere. If you resist it, it's going to persist because for me, it's God's way of trying to get through to you. This is the way, you know, it has to be painful for it really to kind of sink in for you to take notice. Because think about it. If it's, if it's not painful, we don't move. When we're comfortable, we don't shift. We don't move forward. It's going through that pain. So you have one of two choices. You lean into it. You get through it quicker. You'll learn the lesson and it'll move you forward quicker or but if you resist it, you still it's still going to present itself maybe in a different mask, a different person, a different situation. Mm -hmm. But if you're meant to learn a, a lesson, some people go their whole lives with the same lesson presented over, you know, you know those people, right? Same story, which is not the same thing as what we're talking about is, is, is depression. Because, you know, that has a, there's a lot more elements. There's, you know, your mind, there's, there's um, chemical imbalance, which, you know, obviously if you were, uh, if you were an inpatient, you, you know, you had some chemical imbalance, right? Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Um, uh, you said, despite loving her more than any person, I had previously met something uncontrollable within me, was screaming to leave her before she left me. If she ever saw the darkness, okay, I already said that. Hating yourself will not bring anyone back. I thought that was really powerful because how many times have we like been in a relationship and they've ended it and we're like oh god i'm not this enough i'm not cute enough i'm not smart enough i'm not funny enough i mean you know and we just beat that shit out of ourselves what does that do it doesn't bring them back in fact it's going to repel them and it's going to repel anybody else i mean you've got to be your best friend which is what we're talking about right now right mm -hmm. Uh, my therapist looked at me at one point. I don't remember what I said, but he just said, and how's that going for you? How's that, yeah, how's that working for you? Right, exactly. And, and 100%, right? It's like I, I spent 30 years beating myself up and hating myself. And what what did that do? What did that help? And truthfully, it's like, time. And it's I, 100%. And I had to come back to me and realize, gosh, I I love who I am. And it's okay. Anybody who walks away, that is just fine. They're missing out on a gift, but that's fine. That's just fine. The way that I show up for my friends and the people that I love and the way I spend my life helping other people, 
is a gift. And, and that might not be a gift for you. And, and that's okay. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Do you know what, Sam? And I've said this before, because even if you were perfect, in your eyes, you were perfect, you're still not going to be liked by everybody. No. So you know what, you might as well be your authentic self. You know what I'm saying? Sorry. 100%. And, and like you, you said, my circle has gotten smaller over time. And I'm happier than I've ever been. I mean, truthfully, it's like, I tried for so long to keep a huge circle and keep up and I was always going to coffee with this person and that person and I didn't actually have any real friendship in my life. I didn't have any of that. And, and that, it's exhausting. It's exhausting trying to be somebody else, isn't it? And people who see the good and call the good out in me, right? Like I work hard to call the good out in them when I see it, but they're also spending their time building me up and, and that, yeah, it's the most important. What's a really good practice that I learned was also one day, every day, sorry, every day, reach out to somebody and, you know, tell them you love them. Tell mm -hmm. them something to make their day. Because you know what, when you give, I tell my clients this all the time, be the pitcher, not the catcher. Mm -hmm. Give first, it will always come back. But you know what, we've been conditioned to believe I'm not giving first. I've got to get before I give. Um, I've got to see it to believe it. That's not how faith works. You believe it first, then you see it. You know, a lot of what we've been taught is backwards. And that's why we get into these states of mind, right? 100%. 100%. Your clients are lucky to have you. That's for sure. Aww, thank you. I appreciate, thank you. You just, you just made my day. Thank you. Uh, and as we were saying, you said, I'm sorry if a few hateful people, so you're talking to your audience. I, I'm sorry a few hateful people hijacked your confidence and self-worth. I'm sorry your brain has been conditioned to self-destruct. But how many more years are you going to spend hating yourself? How many more years are you going to suffer without giving, giving healing everything you got, which is what you were talking about in the very beginning, that you didn't feel like you gave um, healing everything that you got. So at that point, it was when you decided to stay here was when that was the question. That was the ultimate question. And what I, what I practically did to get out of it is I decided what I just said at the beginning of this, I'm going to do one thing every single day that makes my life better or makes the world a better place. And I took a picture of it. And then I kept a photo album. And I still do this every time I'm struggling from time to time, at least maybe a month or two a year, I'll take a picture every single day of, of the progress I'm making in my life when I feel stuck, right? Mm -hmm. And then suddenly, when my, so when my brain starts going off the rails and says, you're not making any progress. Things are never getting better. I just open the photo album and look, there's a hundred pictures of an organized closet of coffee with a friend, you know, a surprise party that I organized. And it's this proof for our brains that, Hey, look, you are making progress. Now, yes. That's, that. it. that's it. Because you know what? I did that this morning as well, because I'm thinking something, something triggered me and I'm like, well, you really have come far. You know, I mean, Absolutely. you don't realize it because it's kind of slow motion. But I was thinking about like where I was a year ago in business and I'm going, I would never have dreamed I'd be here. I didn't, I was like you, I didn't allow myself to dream for the longest time up until about four years ago, really. Mm. Yeah, because I was, I, I didn't think I could achieve it, you know? So let me ask you, yeah, what, um, what does it mean to be recklessly alive? Mm. Fully, I think it's different for every single person. But truthfully, for me, it's going after the life that I want, giving life everything I've got, and helping as many people as I can in the process. Um, it's finding 
a few good people to love and allow to love me in return. Some, some mix, some mix of all of that. And sometimes I'll put way too much pressure on myself. I'm like, you're the recklessly alive guy. But that's, that's not what my platform is about. Like you, it's like, I present the struggle and the real and I wake up and I post a photo and some days it's not great. Some days yeah. it isn't, but I show up. I just show up. Here's well, the but not only that, those days, it might even help more people because you know, if you're always just presenting yourself in the best light, oh, I'm always happy. I'm, you know what? First of all, it's not possible. I don't think it's not possible. So these people I think are frauds. Sorry, I said it. Okay. Cause it's not true. Nobody's always freaking happy. And then, those are the people that are dangerous to follow on Instagram or mm -hmm. any kind of social media, because that's going to get you further and further away from healing because you're going to think that's the norm. That's not the norm. We're here to tell you that's not the norm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And to go, to go after those things, like you were just talking about dreaming, right? It's like, what are those things? Everyone, I a hundred percent know everyone has things tucked away in their heart. I've all, I've always wanted to write a book. I've always wanted to start a podcast. I've always wanted to, whatever that fill in the blank is for you. You, you got to go for it, man. You, you all, we don't know how much time we have and you, you're going to have, you're going to get to the end of your life and wish that you had gone for it. Just gone. Absolutely. Amen to that. I, this is the year for me experiencing that because you know, I'm getting, on an age and I, I never thought about that before i never thought about it's like if not now when what the hell are you waiting for stop letting fear control your life you know so reach out to people i mean if you had three takeaways what would they be one like we started the call we'll just get them all from this call number one you got to take action for the life that you want whatever that is if you want to be in better shape or you want to write a book or you want to start a business you, you got to take a little action every single day go for it number two you gotta allow yourself to be seen you gotta be transparent in your life you've got to be who you really are and allow yeah. people to love you for who you are and three, you've got to chase those things that make you feel fully alive. For me, it is adventure, going on adventures like travel and, and getting to help people. That is where I feel the most alive. And I, I forget to go for it, but sometimes you just got to go for it. Those are my three. Awesome. Uh, you know, I'm seeing a lot of comments here. I mean, everybody, we're not feeling good. Remember life is a journey and games. Okay. Does anybody have any questions? I, 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 I know that we had said that we would be able to ask you questions. And I know that I've been so engrossed in this. If anybody has any questions at this moment, I know uh, you can go ahead. And if not, in the meantime, where can people reach you, Sam? Absolutely. I'm at Recklessly Alive. Love those takeaways. I love them too. Okay, go ahead. Thank you. I'm at Recklessly Alive on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Or email is always an option. Sam at Recklessly Alive. Okay. Recklesslyalive.com. And you're doing some speaking engagements, probably. Absolutely. So the biggest part of my business is I speak all over the U.S. I've done over 100 events, a lot of schools, colleges. I've done prisons, churches, community centers. So anybody Where can purchase your book? The book is available on Amazon, Recklessly Alive by Sam Eaton. There's a link in my bio as well on Instagram. Okay. Perfect. All right. Well, Sam... I, I have so much more to talk to you about, so I might have you on again. Please, when, I'll come back. When is the book coming out? <laughs> yeah, I'm working on book two. I'm working on it. Are you really? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, right on. When, when do you think that's going to be done? 
Oh, gosh. I mean, the first one only took seven years, so. <laughs> did it really? Yeah, it did. Mine took eight. Yes. <laughs> right there. <laughs> a long process, but I'm real proud of it now. It's uh, yeah. also a little bit less than that, I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, no, you know what? Listen, set the intention, because my second yep. book, I remember I, want, I needed it to be out by a certain time. I don't remember why, but I said, it's going to be done in four months. It was done in four months. Yes. Right. Love that. All right. Well, such a pleasure having you on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for everything you do, Tina. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for watching, and we'll see you next week. Bye.